1: Blog Talk Radio.
2: Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts, offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, uh, 59% of our audience are either presidents and or owners of small businesses. Uh, One of the main topics they often ask us to cover is leadership, management. Uh, I'm particularly pleased tonight to Erica Petler. Uh, the author of a new book uh, and a a well-known professional to hear to talk about leadership. Erica, welcome to the program.
0: Thanks, Don. I'm happy to be here tonight.
2: Well, as we always ask our guests, uh, we always ask them to to tell us a little bit about their personal background, and then we'll, we'll get into the topic.
0: Sure. Um, Just a little bit of a snapshot on me. I am a leadership performance coach. Um, My background and history, I actually went to school, believe it or not, to become a pharmacist and uh, went directly into the healthcare industry where I spent about 20 years in a variety of roles, including uh, leading a $100 million consumer care company, a $400 million pharmaceutical company. I was one of those young high potentials. They moved around quite a bit. And uh, at about 40 years old, after being the only woman and the youngest person on a global leadership team, I decided I wanted to expand my bandwidth, and I opened up my own business about seven years ago, um, focusing on leadership coaching and consulting. And I work with executives in large corporations, but I also have a significant amount of my business working in the small to mid-sized space with CEOs and business owners. And uh, I live in Morristown, New Jersey, and I uh, I have a pretty uh, robust practice that is uh, concentrated predominantly in New Jersey, but I'm also a member of a couple of boards that uh, caused me to travel to Montreal, Canada as well.
2: Well, that's very interesting. Uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, with a high potential like that, what made you decide at age 40 to go out and be on your own? I mean, what were the factors that uh, really decided you to go out and do do this?
0: Yeah, you know, it was complicated. I I will say that. I mean, I loved my job. I, you know, started in the business. I was in, you know, my early 20s, and by 41 years old, I think a combination of just putting in extreme work hours, like many of the people, I'm sure, in your audience do, where, you know, we're working 12 and 14 hours, doing a lot of traveling. I felt like after having a number of opportunities to lead transformational change and startups within the organization, um, that I had grown just a little bit bored of being in one particular organization and I think I craved something different but I wasn't exactly sure what it was so what I did done was I actually orchestrated an exit out of the company I was a fairly senior executive of course it was a little bit complicated and I decided to take a year off and in that year I said you know I'm not going to do anything I just want to see what's going to show up for me and what do I really want to do next And I actually found my passion, my whole life was in leadership, and I found um, a great way to make a transition by doing uh, leadership certification in coaching. Um, And I wrote a book. My first book was Open Up and Say Ah. And I realized that what I really wanted to do was leadership, but I wanted to have more freedom, and I wanted to have more um, perspective across a broader landscape of leadership and not just be narrowly focused in one company.
2: Well, you've you've been at it seven years. You have a new book out, uh, L- "Leadership Rigor." I-, I love the title, uh, "Breakthrough Performance and Productivity." Uh, tell us what is the basis of the of your book and and your thoughts on that
0: yeah no thank it's a great you know it's a great question and and the title is interesting you know many of us know about scientific rigor right and i I mentioned that i 'm a pharmacist by background i've always been fascinated by the way that drugs work, how they kind of you know attack the body or attack a uh you know a foreign substance in the body and I brought that same kind of curiosity to my leadership coaching practice where I'm curious about how leadership works and how I can help leaders understand it fundamentally and break it down so they can become better leaders so leadership rigor is, is a life cycle development book that actually breaks down leadership into three basic areas one is, what do you need to know to be able to lead yourself? Because if you can't lead yourself, Don, you just can't lead other people, right? And most people miss that part. You've got to have awareness about yourself and some basic fundamental skills. Then there's the concept of how do you lead other people? And most of us learn to lead other people in some kind of team dynamic or functional dynamic. And then, as you mentioned at the top of the show, a large majority of your audience is presidents and, and small to mid-sized business owners leading at the organizational level is a completely different altitude and the third part of the book focuses on that and literally tries to help that entrepreneurial leader who may not have had the benefit of working in a large company and getting the training and development in some of the basic fundamental skill areas it lays out a roadmap to help them understand as you start to scale and have to sustain a larger infrastructure what are the critical elements that you must be focused on, and how does that affect not only um, creating your culture and attracting your talent, but focusing on your strategy and your performance as well?
2: And and the third. So
0: leading yourself, leading teams, and leading organizations—those are the three basic parts of leadership rigor.
2: Well, um, it's taken a long time for for me to, to really understand myself. How does one go about? understanding that in in the, in the terms of leadership?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, it basically starts with really trying to understand how are we hardwired. You know, we each have personalities. They're unique to us. And we have unique ways of um, organizing our information, um, managing our workflow, managing our energy. So the first part of the book really takes a look at how do you start to understand yourself and your hardwiring and create a relationship in understanding how you operate. When you have that level of awareness, and in Leadership rigor, I talk um, in Part 1 a lot about establishing a level of conscious competency. You know, you remember that uh, 1970s uh, cartoon, Mr. Magoo? Yes. Walked around, didn't know what was happening, but seemed to be lucky and landing in the right places. A lot of leaders today are what I call Mr. and Ms. Magoos. They're kind of moving through the space, maybe a little bit disruptive, don't really appreciate the impact that they're having on other people. So in Leadership rigor, we unpack moving from being unconsciously incompetent and not really knowing what your blind spots are to becoming now – consciously incompetent what are going to be some of the growth areas that you need to focus on to become a better leader and ultimately getting you through to conscious competency because when you know what you need to do, how you do it and why you're doing it you become a good leader of yourself
2: well that's interesting because uh, um i deal a lot of times with these young entrepreneurs um, uh, who are in their early 20s and, uh, if I'm lucky, in their uh, early 30s. And it seems to me that, that these people are consciously uh, uncoupled from their environment around them. Uh, have you run into that, or am I uh, uh, not uh, uh, meeting the right people?
0: No, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I a lot of entrepreneurs today especially those in those early startup phases. You know, they're 20, they're 30 years old, they have a great idea, um, or they're uh, establishing a new business. A lot of them are very focused on the idea, getting it on the ground, and you know, hoping that it's going to have some magic associated with it and balloon into something that is going to create wealth for them. Um, alternatively, you might also be meeting some 20 and 30 year olds, as I do, that are part of family run businesses, right? And they may be next in line to ascend and take over a well run business. Both of these scenarios really require that 20 or 30 year old entrepreneur to not only get introduced into what are the fundamentals of driving sales and profitability, which everyone seems to be focused on, but how do you get skills that will also allow you to create a scalable and sustainable organization where other people who start to work for you and come into the fold will want to stay because you have a structure and you have some systems and you have some processes. A lot of the work that I do with entrepreneurs is helping them to become more balanced and be enterprise leaders as well. Enterprise leaders, you know, typically those we think of larger corporate uh, organizations, but that entrepreneur needs to have some grounding and some systems and structure and process to allow them to actually get bigger than just their individual bandwidth.
2: We had a guest on a couple of weeks ago, uh, Joel Trammell. Who runs one of the largest bakery operations in the country? And uh, uh, he said that uh, his son and daughter came to him uh, a few years ago and said, if he didn't change, they were leaving, and which really woke him up. Um, but a lot of people don't get that opportunity. Um, we also advise a lot of small businesses, uh, and our main. Uh, stumbling block seems to be that I've come this far, I'm so smart uh, what are you going to teach me Uh, uh, we see this a lot Uh, I'm hammering on this because this afternoon I had a deal with one such entrepreneur and it was not a pleasant experience so uh, I'm curious how you would handle that for uh, our, our, our younger audience in here before we go on to the older audience Um, how do you get someone to listen to you to understand that this is necessary
0: yeah that's a great question and you know some of it is you know back to whether they have any sense of self-awareness or whether you know people are providing them with uh... with feedback to know what it's like to be with them you know i spent a lot of time coaching and helping people understand what the impact is that they have on others, what it's like to be with them, and and for them to really understand that, hey, listen, you know, if you are arrogant, if you're ignorant, if you're righteous as a leader, people aren't going to want to stay with you and they're not going to want to play with you. So, you know, in today's environment, as organizations go from that smaller entrepreneur into a little bit more of a pod or trying to associate and attract additional talent, they have to have an attractive disposition or at least a neutral disposition so that people will feel like they want to engage with them um, a lot of uh, a lot of the CEOs and the, uh, the division presidents that I work with early on in the process can be a little bit arrogant and not realize the impact and helping them to understand the consequences talent will turn over you need talent to grow in this economy you need talent to grow in, uh, in, in this business world And people will choose to leave no matter how bad, really, the economy is. And certainly as the economy gets better, they'll leave uh, even more quickly. And these young entrepreneurs, they'll leave at the drop of a dime if they don't feel like the environment is something that they want to be a part of. So in my generation, our generation, baby boomers and and Gen X, we might have been a little bit more tolerant of some of that command and control and bad boy, bad girl leadership behavior but the newer generation is far from tolerant of that. So we're going to have to get hip as older leaders if we want to attract younger talent. And younger talent also needs to be sensitive to evolving to the needs of that next generation coming up right behind them.
2: Well, let's go on to the second point that you make. Um, the the leader has now gotten a handle on what he or she should. And by the way, let me ask you a different question. Are there different men and women on Mars and Venus? Uh are there uh do you find one women or men uh different in uh how they l- learn to uh look at themselves?
0: you know great question often asked that you know especially being a woman in business and and being a woman at uh... you know forty one that had a pretty nice level of success in in corporate america in fact people would ask me you know how did you break through the glass ceiling and i would say to them pretty pretty straightforwardly i didn't acknowledge its existence so it never was a barrier for me um... so when i'm asked the the men and and women question, Don, honestly you know i have a different point of view on this To me, it's less about the gender, and it's more about the personality. And I have seen a number of men and women personalities struggle and have a harder time with leadership um, because they haven't taken the time to really understand themselves or to understand the consequences of their personality and try to grow and change through that. Um, But I see successful men, successful women, Um, I also believe in a couple of really key principles with leadership. The first is leadership can all be learnable. So regardless of, you know, again, gender, age, generation, ultimately your starting style, my belief as a leadership performance coach is there is nothing about leadership that cannot be learned, cannot be practiced, and cannot be developed to a very high skill level. Um, You know, another philosophy is leadership is in service of others. So if you're all about yourself, you're not going to be an attractive leader. And the third thing is that leadership is emotional. You know, the businesses fundamentally are not that difficult. What's difficult are the people who are complex. They have egos. They have needs. They have desires. And being a leader today means being able to deal with the complexity of those human dynamics.
2: (coughs) I had a, someone once tell me, the world would be a dull place if it wasn't for people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> true. That's uh, a
0: great comment.
2: I, you know, um uh, I try to uh, try to deal with it. Um, I happen to be married to a very successful Harvard Business School uh, alumnus, so uh, uh, and and she has been su- successful in it, but. Uh, the interesting thing, just across my desk today, came a new study which pointed out that 25, less than 25 percent of the leadership in American consumer products companies are women. Yet most of the their products they sell are sold to women, and the the, the dynamics of it is proving very interesting. Um, and you're saying uh, my wife ran a billion dollars worth of Sara Lee. So, you know, she also didn't recognize the glass ceiling. But uh, uh, it's interesting. When I talk to uh, some women, I do a lot of talking, uh, speaking engagements, they all talk about that glass ceiling. uh, I know it's off the subject, but do you believe there is a glass ceiling?
0: Uh, You know, I... Yeah, I, it's well. First of all, I just wanna I just wanna say, you know, the consumer packaged uh, good company when, in the healthcare background that I have, I, I work for consumer consumer healthcare companies. So, you know, worked on like Bayer Aspirin, Flintstones vitamins, and and I will tell you that. Um, in the years that I was in the corporate world, you know, yeah, there were very few women in those very senior leadership uh, roles. I do think that that's escalating and changing pretty dramatically in the last, I would say, even three to five years. And over the next three to five years, I think we'll continue to uh, to escalate and change, um, because down below in the uh, in the ranks, it's really 50 50 or even 60 40. So it will it will ultimately break through to that higher level. But, you know, in terms of ceilings, and I'm going to answer the question a little bit differently. Do I believe there are ceilings? I do believe that there are ceilings. For example, I worked in a German company where I think some American men had ceilings. I've worked for and I've worked with now some some Dutch companies where I think there probably are there too ceilings for you know the uh, the national country that has its origin as the headquarters. So I think ceilings exist for more than just gender. Issues, but I think in in my view, I've never acknowledged anything to be in the way of me and a goal that I wanted to achieve, and my encouragement and my advice as a leadership performance coach is if you want to achieve something and the company that you are currently in is not providing that opportunity, well then find another company because that opportunity will be available to you and you need to find the culture and the environment and the support for the goals that you want to achieve. But if you're going to self-impose barriers everywhere you go, then you're not going to ultimately achieve that goal. So I like to encourage people to be facilitators of progress as opposed to complainers of the status quo. If they really are a facilitator of progress, they will find a way to to achieve that goal, if not in that company, in another one.
2: Well, let's get back. Uh, uh, we could talk that subject all night, but let's get back to your book. Let's talk about the second point you you made. And uh, we, could you amplify a little bit on that Um uh,
0: Sure. I mean, leading teams, right? So, you know, if you get if you get a handle on leading yourself and you want to be a team leader, you know, the biggest fundamental that I put forth in Leadership Rigor is, hey, listen, don't go into a role of leading other people unless you have a genuine desire to really develop and nurture and spend time with people. A lot of people in today's environment you know, in maybe some of the bigger corporate world um, or in larger um, small to mid-sized businesses want to get that promotion, want to get that title. Team leadership really requires a dynamic of doing three core things well. One is you have to deliver work through others, and you have to learn different leadership styles that will allow you to inspire a motivated group of people to work with you. You have to develop the individuals, and you have to develop the team as an entity. And in Leadership rigor, I literally break down what does that look like, sound like, and feel like? What are the skills that you need to have? But more importantly, what are the disciplines that you need to have? You know, when you start leading other people, Don, you have to start being really clear about setting expectations. You have to be really disciplined about coaching for performance, and you have to be capable to hold accountability. So in that team leader section, I talk about a lot of those skills, and I also give some uh, structures and frameworks and and a model that I love. It's called Analytical Rigor that lays out for a team leader, how do you facilitate a conversation that can have some complexity to it or that you have to reach a decision on so that you can have performance and productivity and really get your team where it needs to go quickly?
2: That's good advice uh can we go a little deeper into the uh, ana- analytical rigor? Uh, yeah. Because uh, uh, that's always been my failing in my leadership role. So uh, what do you mean by that more specifically?
0: Yeah, this is this is a great thing. You know, when I, I, I was doing an expat um assignment in Canada and I was working with a group of people and we needed to turn around the business and you know, I realized we were speaking different languages and they had all of this data, but they didn't know how to really translate it into information that we can use. So I literally mapped out six words on a cycle and I said, Listen, we have to be able to take data and transform it into information something that we can look at that's usable as opposed to these spreadsheets and you know just a dump of of numbers once we have information, we can start to look at that and have a conversation about what is this information telling us? What insights can we derive from it? What are some of the deviations? What are some of the things that pop off the page? What, what are some of the curiosities that we have now that we understand the timetables or the variances or whatever this information is showing us? Once we reveal some insights, it's going to give us some choices. We're going to have some options for possibly doing things differently or challenging ourselves to explore another area. Once we surface some of those choices, Don, we'll be able to make a decision, and then we'll take action, and that action will reveal more data. So there are these six different phases that I walk the, 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 uh, the reader through to help them understand what skill is involved in each one of those steps? What does the conversation sound like? And what should you be looking for so that instead of doing these continuous circular loops and not knowing where you are in the process, it's literally a straightforward, practical, systematic way to walk through a conversation, get everyone involved in the process, and end up with a more robust decision at the end.
2: We're talking with Erica Petler. Uh, her new book is leadership uh leadership rigor is breakthrough performance and productivity i know i'm learning a lot i hope our audience uh, is uh, learning
3: uh
2: more than i am but i'm certainly learning a lot but now uh erica uh you you have a third point and a third way talk a little bit about that please
0: Yeah, the third part of the book, Don, is leading organizations. And this is the piece that I think is, you know, really necessary to to help entrepreneurs and small to mid-sized business uh, owners understand. You know, most of the leaders that I meet fundamentally don't really understand what it takes and what it's like to lead at the organizational level. Um, You know, there are specific things that you must be able to do. For example you know, I, I give a model, it's called Organizational Excellence, and it literally becomes a roadmap for the organizational leader to follow and their leadership team. And it says, first and foremost, you have to create a safe and spacious environment. You have talented people working for you, you have to be able to allow them to do that work in a safe and a spacious environment, you know, good behaviors are around you, people aren't yelling and screaming, it's not hostile. So the environment is the first part of that model. There are four content areas that I help them understand as well. And these content areas are what's the real work that has to go on at an organizational level. First, you have to create a culture, how we do things around here. That you have to have values. People need to be clear about how we make decision uh, decisions in this particular company. So focusing on the culture is critical. Um, also, the talent. Do we have the right people?
2: Hello?
3: Hello? This is Joe Levin.
2: How, how are you? uh I've just lost my uh, prior guest, so I hope she'll call back. Okay. Um, and, um, hold on. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, this is...
3: Joel, I'm sorry, I didn't it.
2: hear you. Yeah, Joel, Joel, I thought so. I, he- I heard Bill, and uh, I'm hoping our, uh, our other guest, while we're waiting for her to return, uh our next guest is going to be Joel Levitt. He's uh uh has a book out, The Seven S- Systems of Bad Meetings and what you can do about them. Uh Joel, we're glad to have you on the program. We we're, we're hoping Erica will uh come back to us. Uh but in the meantime, uh tell us a little bit about yourself, Joel.
3: Um I'm a I'm a consultant and I've been traveling around the world for 25 years, and meetings drive me crazy. Um, I sit in a lot of meetings, as you can probably imagine, and some of them are great, some of them are terrible. And I thought I'd write a book to help people.
2: Okay, so, but what what's your background that that uh, made you? go around the world and then decide uh, this this was going to happen?
3: I, I'm, I'm Director of International Projects for Lifecycle Engineering. We're a medium-sized engineering company in the reliability area. So we work with big companies, governments, uh, mining. Um, right now I'm out uh, talking to a pharmaceutical company um, about how to uh maintain their assets, uh how to do big construction projects, how to do uh equipment shutdowns. So it's technical. But I'm more concerned with um <clears throat> you know the meetings and how they go and stuff like that. So I have uh like I said, twenty five years doing that and I've written a number of books on technical areas and this is my first book, you know, in the general management area.
2: Ah. Well, we're going uh we're going to get to you in a minute. We also have another guest who's called in. We're also working for waiting for Erica P- Pittler to come back in. Uh our next guest should be Carla Dennis. Carla, are you on?
1: I am. How are you?
2: Uh, we're fine, uh, Carla. Uh, I was just wrapping up with our uh, first guest, uh, Joel Levitt, called in. Now our um, first guest um, has just called in, and I want want to just wrap up with her. If the two of you will be paced a moment. Absolutely, Erica.
0: Hi, Erica? John. Sorry you... about that.
2: Uh, well, uh, our other guests have arrived, but so Erica uh... i, I want to invite you back because uh, i found you so interesting tell us again uh... uh how people can reach you and, and where they can get your book and then we'll let you go
0: great great thank you um... the book leadership rigor is available on amazon dot com and also if you're interested in reaching out and and talking with me or learning more about some of the things that i do in leadership coaching the website is erica petler p e i t l e r dot com, and you can reach me at erica e r i c a at erica dot com. And it was a real pleasure being with you tonight. I really appreciate the time.
2: Well, I'm sorry we got cut off, but I'm going to invite you back to come again and and finish your your last point. Have a nice that would night.
0: be great. Thanks, Don. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye
2: bye. Bye. Uh, now, uh, Joel and Carla, uh, since you're both on together, uh, 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 Joel has a book uh, which which I absolutely love, Seven Systems of Bad Meetings and What You Can Do About Them. And then Carla, she's founder and CEO of Com- C- Cohesive, uh, which, which advises small businesses on minimizing their taxes to maximize their profits. So uh, what I'm going to do, which I sometimes do when these things happen, is um, uh, uh, Joel has just introduced himself. I'm going to ask Carla to introduce herself, and we're going to have a three-way conversation for the rest of the hour, if that's okay with you, you fellas.
3: Absolutely. That sounds great.
2: Okay. So, Carla, tell us a little bit about yourself personally. I found it fascinating, but I'm sure our audience would much rather hear it from you.
1: Absolutely. I'm Carla Dennis. I am uh, married, a mother of four. I am the CEO of Cohesive. And over my lifespan, I really am a fan of taxation. I have uh, give back to the community, helping entrepreneurs, helping young people really embrace financial understanding and financial um, leadership and just understanding what they need to do. I started out with a degree in accounting, and when I graduated college, I, I didn't find a position in accounting, so I took a position as an administrative assistant in a law practice. And I worked that position and understood how to work alongside the attorneys, the lawyers, and things of that nature. And then I decided 20-some-odd years ago that I wanted to own my own business, be a mom, and I knew I couldn't do that working 60, 80 hours a week. So I let that position go, and I started a business out of my home. And I now have four sons, and I've grown the business to where it is today. I have 15 full-time employees. I currently am a full-time mom. I believe that it's really important to balance business life and work life, and I've been able to do that pretty successfully. I, I don't miss any of my kids' events. I am married. I have a wonderful husband, and we really support each other in that. And I also enjoy mixed martial arts.
2: Oh, boy. Well, I won't mess (laughs) with you then.
3: Uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) Hey, 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 Joel, that's that's a pretty hefty background. uh, uh, It's interesting. I always uh, am curious how people uh, introduce themselves, and it's invariably the women, if they're married and mothers, say that first. No no matter if they're company presidents. But uh, we're going to go back to Joel. First, if it's all right with you, Carla and uh, uh, Joel, ha- uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Meetings are oftentimes a waste of time. So, uh, tell us in a nutshell, how do we can make our meetings more pr- productive?
3: Well, I I caught the tail end of what Eric was talking about, and I completely agree with the uh, your meetings want to reflect your culture. I mean. Carla's meetings are going to look different than the, the Bank of America's meetings when they're talking about taxes. Um, my meetings with other engineers um, look very different than a meeting of a, uh, a dance troupe. So the culture of the organization is really important. And the values, what do you value? Uh, do you value everybody's opinion? Um, if I want to run a meeting, I want to hear from the people who frequently in my field, some of the quietest people have the best contributions. So they may not really want to share too much, but uh, it's important to get their opinions uh, heard.
2: And how do you do that?
3: Um, The first thing is, one of the first things that I like to do is to set the ground rules for meetings of a particular type in a particular place. So my ground rules might be, um, you know, the biggest problem right now with meetings is everybody wants to be on their phone and, and checking email, and you have to repeat things three or four times in the meeting because half the people aren't listening. So we might have a ground rule about not... You you know what I'm talking about, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I can't go to a meeting today, especially amongst younger people, uh, where they're not—they are not um, um, uh, uh, constantly on the phone or or or, uh, uh, texting or doing something. And uh, to me, it's extremely—I think of it as rude. Uh, But then again, I'm a lot older than they are. But I just think it's it's, uh, rude um uh, i the the best story I, I ever saw because i actually saw it is hank greenberg who was the head of aig he he right. would always um require people to be in the rooms and seated before he came in they couldn't bring any any liquid in and he would always come in with a cup of tea and i, I you know i sat in in a meeting one meeting and, uh, and anyway, but uh, you're the expert, so we're going to uh, defer to you. But uh, before I do, Carla, do you want, want to chime in here with anything? We're going to get to your specialty, but go
1: Absolutely. Ahead. I think, I, I agree, meetings can be a, a definitely a waste of time, and I do concur with the younger people are always texting and just, multitasking, and really, for me, it makes me a little dizzy. I think it's rude, too, but I have a younger son who's 22, works in my company, and he says, Mom, younger people are always about what's going on socially, and you have to embrace us from a different perspective. So what we started doing in our meetings, cutting our meetings down really short because they have a very short attention span, and we give everybody an opportunity to speak in the meeting, and they get like one minute to speak. So we have a staff of 15 people in our organization. We do 20-minute meetings. You have one minute to speak and get your points out, and we move to the next person.
3: That's a fabulous idea for getting everybody to contribute. Right. And and, and listen to those people. Some of those quiet people uh, have some of the best ideas.
1: I totally agree with that. They When they speak up, people listen. And I think cutting it down to having one minute to talk, it prevents those people who like to go on and on not to be able yeah. to go on and on. And I am shocked with that 20-minute meeting. It's like it's 20 minutes and we're done.
3: Yeah, that's fabulous. And wh- what I wanted to say was, like, when you do that, like Carla's describing, people leave the meeting feeling energized and in action. And if you go to a traditional meeting, you know, that's with coffee and donuts and it takes three hours, people leave the meeting literally elevated, tired, headachy, and not in action. Right, right. So that's one of my diagnostics for how good a meeting is, is how people feel when it's over I you know, and, I really like that you know it's like you can go into your own heart and say you know but, but how, how do you feel
2: but uh, how do you get yeah. to, how do you gauge how they feel by their body language oh, by how they walk out or
3: oh I I actually just check in how I feel and I might even ask people how they feel. Uh, you know, it's something that if there's a good, you know, culture and good relationships and people trust each other, that's a perfectly legitimate question. You know, how did you feel about how that went? And um, I I think that people, uh, if they're, you know, you listen to them and they say it's that was a that was a slog, man. Um, uh, the, the facilitator should listen. The, the, the chair should listen to that, because there's some wisdom there.
2: Well, uh, what about the size of meetings? Should they, if Carla, for instance, has a staff meeting and limited time, what about the size? Should meetings be smaller, larger? How do you decide uh, that uh, the, the size of a meeting?
3: This is an interesting thing because there's a lot of things going on in the meeting that we want other people to know, but their input to the process is not as essential as them getting the output from the process. So uh, I'm usually pretty stingy about who I would invite to meetings to make them as small as possible with the major stakeholders. And then everybody else gets that's on the periphery gets copied of the minutes or action items or whatever Uh, so we keep them in the loop but um, I'm really uh, it's important not to have people there that are not active contributors
2: well um, I've been in meetings where uh, everybody is looking to the chair to see how he or she is reacting to this, and uh, um, where clearly there was a reluctance to talk. How do you get people to talk? Uh, uh, I'm not only talking about the, the quiet ones, but ones where the leader um, is, uh, uh, how should we say, uh, uh, don't confuse me with facts, just do what I want.
3: Well, the, this is goes back to our first conversation about culture and values. Um, if the leader is authoritarian, uh, people are not going to contribute. That's just the way it is. They're going to be waiting for the cues. Um, but uh, if the leader is open and, and is open to discussion and is honest about that, then I, I don't. You're going to be able to shut people up. I think there'll be a bigger problem than getting them to start. Um, <laughs> but if they don't trust the leader. Um, it's going to be a one-way communication.
2: Unfortunately, uh, I've worked at a couple of organizations which is uh, like that. But, uh, 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 Joel, the name of your book is The, the Seven
3: it's, Symptoms. Uh, well, that's that the uh, name but, of an article. The um, the book name is Ten uh, Minutes a Week to Great Meetings.
2: Oh, okay. I, well, I was. Uh, uh, what I'm seeing is that. So, say it, say it again, so we, we, uh, I hear it.
3: Yeah, ten minutes a week to great meetings.
2: Okay. Can you give us and, two or three examples of of how you'd spend those ten minutes?
3: Yeah, I. I ten minutes a week is is really a like a learning plan it's a 10 lesson plan to better meetings so each week you concentrate on one lesson and the lessons take about 10 minutes to read or to look at the videos and um, you just implement the ideas so you know one of the ideas I mentioned already is uh, uh, ground rules for all your meetings so that there's an agreed-upon set of rules um another one might be a meeting checklist where you have a checklist of the things you check before you start your meeting you know is there enough chairs in the room is there um appropriate lighting is the air conditioning working things like that and then there's 10 simple things to do one each week and as you start to bring them in they start to make the meetings more powerful more energetic and way more fun.
2: Well, I would love for meetings to be fun. Um, I've, <laughs> I've had several difficult ones this this week. Um, how can people find your book? And, and, and you also have videos. That's good in this day and age. Even though we're on radio,
3: yeah. um, the um, the book is at Amazon. 10 minutes a week to great meetings. Um, and the videos spell are last all... last name. My last name is uh, Levitt, L-E-V-I-T-T.
2: Okay. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I want to make sure uh, the audience knew how to spell your last name to look it up. Go ahead.
3: And the videos and exercises and information are at a site called MeetingDefender.com. dot com. Just those one word meeting defender.
2: How'd you come up with that title?
3: Well, I I designed um a sh- a little app for laptops that times meetings and tells you how much money you've just burned.
2: <laughs> I'm sorry I, for laughing, I, but but that's a good way of <laughs> I'm sorry, I keep going over over you. I don't mean to, Joel, because program no, is no here worries. for you to talk, not me.
3: So the the uh, it's a laptop app, and it's free. At, you know, you just d- download it at the site, and it'll literally show a little display of how much oh. the meeting is costing you and how long it's taking. And then the videos are also at that site, and uh articles and things like that other resources all free
2: okay now we're gonna uh go back and uh, and talk with Carla a little bit and Carla, you're here because you, you I don't, uh what I asked you to talk about is the end of the year it's September. Right. And uh, what do you advise your clients to do? Joel's telling them how to manage their meetings. What are some of the things you would advise small businesses to start doing now, looking to reduce uh, their tax uh, this coming year?
1: Absolutely. Right now, my advice to all small business owners, my clients, and everyone is really this is an opportunity right now to really get organized. Because a lot of times business owners find themselves at the end of the year, and beginning of the year, trying to pull records together, and it becomes a stressful time period. Going into the fall, we still have an opportunity to get our records in order. And I use a system that I like to call 12 by 12. And that means that if you haven't started to get your, your records in order, you really take 12 days and each day go over one month of the year. Go back, for example, start with January, get all of your records in order, all your canceled checks if you don't currently have financial statements, get all your bank accounts in order, find your receipts, go through your checking account and look for those things that are tax deductible, and at the very minimum put all of that in one folder marked January. And do that consistently for 12 days. It will probably take you an hour, an hour and a half to get that together but at least you will get your records in order and have them for your tax preparer or your accountant to really go over things. So order for me is the key.
2: Okay. Uh, that's good advice. I wish I uh, could take it, but I'm my, uh, the way I do it is uh, I turn it over to my accountant at the end of the year and pray. <laughs>
1: And pray, well, that's the way a lot of people do it, but we want to be a little bit more proactive. And I think that business owners, if they really take the opportunity to keep track of their numbers proactively instead of reactively, at least if they look at it on a monthly basis, they have 12 opportunities to course correct to look at their financials, look at their tax situation, and then make adjustments now prior to the close of the year. One of the things that I like to do with entrepreneurs, once we've gotten them organized, is to really give them a nice forecast of where their tax liability would land. So basically really look and say, okay, right now we have a good eight-and-a-half months of good information, We can pretty much forecast probably where you're going to land for the next few months and really give them a good tax projection so they'll know that there's no surprises. If you're going to owe tax, you're going to know what that amount is. And if you're going to get a refund, you're going to know what that amount is. And hopefully none of the business owners are out there getting refunds because we don't want that to happen. I would prefer them be smart on, not really owe IRS any money by the time tax time comes, nor should they be getting any big refunds because, as you know, business owners can use that money currently and their business are to save.
2: Okay. Uh, give us another one. You're on a roll.
1: Yeah. I. You know, this is something I really, really enjoy. And so once we have that projection of what the taxpayer's Um, tax liability is going to look like. Now we have a benchmark. Now we have opportunity to reduce the tax liability. But knowing where you are is key. Many people don't want to know that because it's a little unnerving to really kind of know. But once you face the ultimate number, now it's a time to reduce the ultimate number. And there are some real easy steps to reduce the ultimate number. And one of the things that I like to start off with is just something very basic. I ask my clients, everything that you're currently paying, put it on paper, whether it's personal or business, put it on paper, because I want to see if there is a way to get you a better tax position. Using the tax code, using the law to get you a better tax position. And I'll give you an example of what I'm, I'm speaking of. I have children that are in college, and one of my kids in particular runs all of my social media. It really helps me out doing that. And I give him a paycheck for doing that. I'm able to get a tax deduction for the wages that I pay him. Therefore, I don't have to give him an allowance while he's in college. He has money coming in. He does do me a um, huge service by running my social media but now I've gotten a tax deduction for money I probably would have given my kid anyway but because I was able to link his service to something necessary in my business that he could do for me I get a tax right off of that so when you're looking at expenses that you're currently paying and you say to yourself okay is there any way I can get this to be a tax benefit for myself so we always want to look for that low hanging fruit once we have exhausted.
2: You Go ahead. can continue. No, no, you first.
1: I was saying once we've exhausted the low-hanging fruit, things that are kind of obvious to write off because you're paying those things anyway, then we start to look for other opportunities of ways to get tax write-offs. But I don't like tax write-offs just for the sake of write-offs. I want it to be something that can really give the business owner something back in their pocket. And what I mean by that, I'm looking at, okay, now here we are, you owe this money, this is going to be your tax liability, are you interested in looking at doing some type of deferred investing, contributing to your retirement account, contributing to some type of retirement savings that you can deduct from your taxes and still get some growth on that money, which helps entrepreneurs from that perspective. So it becomes, do we give the money to the government, or do we figure out a way to invest it back in ourselves?
2: I sure like that idea. What yeah. about you, Joel?
3: <laughs> I think that's great. I'm immediately oh, going to do the I 12 just, by 12 thing. <laughs>
2: I, I've never heard that one before. I'm going to try it. I'll just start a little late. But, Joel, let me ask you a question. Uh, you're, uh, one thing I know, since I'm an author as well, have you set uh, your b- book and everything up as a separate company?
3: Um, no, I um, I have a, a separate company for some overseas consulting, and the revenue um, flows through that, and the expenses flow through that. Interesting. Well,
2: well, he's he's going to do an inversion.
3: <laughs> are you gonna
2: do an inversion?
3: <laughs> I am not gonna do an inversion.
1: <laughs> well, a lot of companies are doing that inversion, but uh I think that that works for some of the larger businesses. I don't companies. think the smaller businesses are gonna are gonna benefit as much. No I, speaking uh, well, as,
2: go, ahead. go go right go ahead. ahead. No, you first.
1: Speaking as to um having multiple companies, you mentioned about you're having your book. I have a book as well. And what I do with all of my books and content that's sellable, I keep that stuff in a separate company for a multitude of reasons. But from a tax perspective, I like having the fact that I have two entities so that oftentimes I can invoice one entity based on services rendered and things like that so I can get a ultimate lower tax bill. And and that's definitely an, an option for someone who is selling products and things of that nature. So that's another strategy that you can look into. But some other strategies that you could also consider is certainly as we're going into the fall and things of that nature is to look into making sure you're tracking all your charitable donations. One thing that I don't think people really take advantage of is the fact that you can have your own charitable organization. It's not that difficult to set up. I have my own charitable organization. I do a lot of good in the community because that's just what I feel like I want to do my give back. But when you have a charitable organization yourself, at the end of the year, if you determine that your taxes are way too high, you can always donate money to your own charitable organization and get a tax deduction for doing so, and people like to do business with companies that are doing business in the community and are really serving.
2: That's great. And, uh, what's the name of your book, uh, Joel? You want to say
3: something? I thought that was a great idea.
2: Yeah,
1: it no. really, it really, it really works. It really helps out individuals. And a lot of people and businesses that I know, my clients, I'm sure you guys are probably aware, a lot of people are doing things in the community anyway. They're really helping out for various causes. And this is an opportunity to really help other cause get a tax deduction, and then you can decide exactly where your charitable dollars go.
3: I I, I, I really like that. They can't go towards the new Rolex, though. Is that right?
1: No, not toward the new Rolex. <laughs> we don't want to do anything like that. But most certainly, it's an opportunity to lower our taxes and an opportunity to give back to the community as well. So it just gives you opportunities to lower your tax bill. The well, other thing that I what? would like to... Go ahead.
2: Go ahead. I keep stepping on your lines. Go ahead. You're doing a great job. Keep going.
1: Yes. The other thing that I recommend also, as business owners, as we start to get toward year-end and we thinking about giving gifts out and clients, gifts to clients have a limit of $25 per person. However, as a business owner, if you're going to do giving and if you market that giving in terms of having your own marketing information in that gift and you use it more as a marketing ploy, as opposed to a gift, then you'll get a full tax deduction for that. So I just want the business owners to be a little bit smarter about the ways that they're doing things because at year end I know my I myself, I I send out appreciation gifts to people, I receive them myself. So I always make sure that I'm including that as a marketing gift. I include marketing material in it and things of that nature to be able to get the full write off. And then the value of the gift doesn't matter at that point. So that's another way to get a tax write off. And in addition to that, when you're looking at what your tax liability is for the year. And if you're going to have state income taxes, you certainly want to get those state income taxes paid in the current year. So, for example, we're going to have state income taxes for 2014. If we can get them paid by December 31st, that gives us an opportunity to use that number as a tax write-off the following year, I mean, for 2014. So that's a way to lower your income taxes as well.
2: That's that's terrific, uh, Carla, We're gonna have we're gonna have both of you back. Uh, Car- you say you have a book, Carla. What's the name of it?
1: It's the name of my book is called Tax Storm. Tax Storm, and it's all about the taxes that we have to pay, and where these taxes come from, and tips on how you can lower your tax bill.
2: Wow. Uh, and where can people get it?
1: They can get it on Amazon.com, or they can get it on KarlaDennis.com, and that's Karla with a K A R L A Dennis D E N N I S dot com.
2: Okay, uh, Joel, your book again?
3: It's uh, Ten Minutes a Week to Great Meetings.
2: And it's, it's by Joel Levitt, L-E-V-I-T-T. Um, Correct. You, you've both been really great. I want you to come back again sometime soon and, and talk more. Uh, we're running up against uh, our time limit, but uh, uh, I think we could go another 10 or 15 minutes. And I wish we can, mm-hmm. but we're going to uh, have you bo- both back soon. Thank you so well, much for you. coming tonight.
1: Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks very
2: much. We'll we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience and profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here. Thank you for listening tonight. Okay.